Now turn in the back section to page 968. You'll find that page number down at the bottom when you get into past the hymn numbers. 968. We're going to uh, read and respond to the first three questions of the Westminster Shorter Catechism this morning before we read the truth of God's Word. So the first three, I'll begin with the question. If you, and the congreg- you as the congregation respond with the lighter print, the answer to the question. What is the chief end of man? What rule hath God given to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy Him? And what do the Scriptures principally teach? Now let's turn to God's Word, 2 Timothy chapter 3, the text that we've been using for these month or for this month-long series on the scriptures. So if you're visiting with us, I think you could go to the website and uh, look up the past sermons uh, to find out where we have been the previous weeks in dealing with this passage and with this text. We'll be reading all of chapter 3 from 2 Timothy and then the first five verses of chapter 4. Let's hear then God's breathed out word to us. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins, and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all as was that of those two men. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from who you learned it, 
and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Thus far the reading of God's word to us. Let's bow in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this word. You've told us what to expect. You told us how the world will be. But you've also told us in this passage that wisdom for salvation comes from your word, the truth. Lord, be with Pastor Bob as he preaches this morning. Speak the truth through him that we may understand how to live, how to praise you, and how to look at the world. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. So a better title for the message this morning is Scripture Purposes. Not necessarily the effects, although one would hope that the, this is the way in which Scripture affects us, but it, it's more purposes. What reason, what is the purpose that God gives to us the Scriptures? Now, we looked at what the Scriptures are in terms of they are the Word of God, they're the breathed out Word of God, and what that means. Last Lord's Day, we looked at the Scriptures in terms of truth as compared to that which those that Paul describes in that fourth chapter as those who have itching ears and aren't looking for sound doctrine, but instead that which uh, appeases their sinful hearts and their sinful nature. And yet God gives to us the truth in, in the midst of that. Sometimes, you know, you, you think of illustrations uh, later in the week as you reflect back upon that, that uh, passage. So I, I thought of this illustration. I, suppose you know you have something wrong with you. You, you, you kind of see some telltale signs that you might have cancer. You, you just, you know, you've read enough. You, you know, I, I, I think that's what I'm dealing with. So you decide to go visit a cancer specialist. Two options are placed before you. Option number one is this fellow who has this immaculate office. Just absolutely gorgeous. Nice reclining chairs in the waiting room because we all know we wait for a long period of time. Coffee dispenser. All sorts of choices. Pop dispenser. Soda for some of you. All big 
beautiful television set. Everything, the comforts that you could have. But the option is this. When you see the doctor, he's going to lie to you. He is not going to tell you the truth about your condition. He is going to straight out lie. He will not tell you what the test results really reveal. He will not tell you what the real options are before you. Your other option is to go to, well, some old doctor, might have hair growing out of his ears, might be balding. The office is nice, it's clean, but pretty stark, pretty, eh, just okay. No coffee dispenser, no big screen TVs, no reclining chairs. It's a little stark, but he'll tell you the truth. He'll tell you exactly what is happening. He will tell you exactly your condition, and he will tell you exactly, truthfully, what your options are. See, what Scripture is laying before us in 2 Timothy 3 and 4 is exactly that. People would rather flock. They'd rather flock to the office where they're comfortable. And even though they're not going to get the truth, they really don't care because they're comfortable. We see that in our world and in our society all around us. We see it in churches around us. Make them comfortable, just don't tell them the truth. Don't tell them what the Bible really says. On the other hand, there are those who want to know the truth. Want to know what the real situation is. That truth about our human condition, about our human situation, and about the only possible means of dealing with our sin is found in the truth. It's not going to be easy. It's not It's not an easy thing to swallow. It's not an easy thing to deal with. But it is the truth. See, God's purpose in giving his word is first of all this, first point. It's to make us wise unto salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Do you see that in the text? It's there. That that isn't something I made up as pastor. That's in the text. Verse 15, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which, by the way, when Paul is writing this is what? What are the sacred writings Paul is speaking of? Old Testament. The Old Testament, Paul is saying, is able to make you wise unto salvation. Whole section of the Bible that most people don't even read anymore, don't even deal with. Most pastors don't even teach on it anymore. It's not the popular Bible study passages. It's old. It's dull. What does that have to say? Look what Paul says. Those sacred writings, Timothy. Well, Timothy doesn't have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. He doesn't have those. Those aren't there. All he has is Genesis through Malachi. 
Yet Paul says those scriptures are able to make you wise unto salvation. That's the first purpose why God gives to us his truth. It's so that we will be wise unto salvation. Salvation. Not from, I got a toothache. Not from debt. Not from some financial situation. Not through a difficult marriage. Not through a difficult circumstance. Not even through cancer. Salvation. Eternity. God provides for us that which will give us wisdom for all of eternity. Not one month, not five months, not five years, not five decades, but for all of eternity. Forever and ever and ever and ever. See, what are, what are you more concerned with? Tomorrow or eternity? Are you more concerned about what, how you're going to live? What, are you more concerned about the things in your life regarding tomorrow? Or are you more concerned about where will I be for all of eternity? Am I going to be in glory with my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ face to face? Or am I going to be forever and ever, and ever, in everlasting hell, under the damnation and wrath of God. This is able to make you wise unto salvation. This provides you the truth as to how the eternity and glory with Jesus Christ can be that hope and that assurance for which you await. It's compared to that destiny and hell. Now, the scriptures, Paul says, are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith. Through faith, which is, as we know, the gift of God. That the salvation that he is speaking of is the salvation that can come only by God's grace. Only by faith. And that faith is wrought in us by the work of the Holy Spirit. And it's a faith not in ourselves, not in our abilities. It's a faith in Jesus Christ and in Him alone. It's a faith in Christ's suffering. It's a faith in Christ's atonement. It's a faith in Christ's sacrifice. It's a faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. He is able to make you wise unto salvation through faith in Jesus Christ through the truth. His breathed out word. But how does God do that? How, how, does, that, how does God make us wise unto salvation through faith in Jesus Christ? What is the means that God has appointed? Well, this may surprise you. God 
uses the most foolish of human means possible. God doesn't use the brightest means. God doesn't use the most ingenious means possible by which men may come to wisdom of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. God uses a foolish means. You know what that foolish means is? Preaching. Preaching. This, that which is occurring right now, this is the means that God has appointed as the means by which people will become wise unto salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. This is the primary means. I can't say it's the only means. But it is the primary means by which God appoints unto eternal life. Keep your finger here. Go back with me to Matthew chapter 28. We miss this. We miss this, but it, it's so plain. Even in Jesus' words. All authority, verse 18, sorry, Matthew 28, 18. All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Go. Go what? Go preach. Go teach. This is God's appointed means. All that I have commanded you. All that Christ, the Word, made flesh, has given to us. This. Well, wouldn't it be much better if we did it some other way? God says no. And we might say, well, that's kind of foolish. Take this book full of words? That's what we're supposed to use? Yes, this is what we are supposed to use. This is to be primary. This is to be central. Turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 17. So how do the apostles understand what Jesus said in go out? 1 Corinthians 1, 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. What does Paul do? Preach the gospel. See, I think one of the reasons, if, if we're honest about this, one of the reasons the church overall has been so ineffective in the work of missions and the church has been so ineffective in its work of discipleship is the fact that we seek to invent so many other ways that, rather than the God-appointed way. 
I know we hear. Well, you know, if their bellies are hungry, they're not going to be able to hear. Really? Really? God, in the work of the Holy Spirit, cannot make a hungry person hear. So it's dependent on us? No. The foolishness of God is wiser than men. See, folks, part of the reason we are in the mess we are in is because the church has gotten itself involved in so many other things other than the Word of God, other than God's truth. Verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom. Think about that. Not with, not with catchy phrases. Not with cool statements. Not with eloquent wisdom. Lest the cross of Christ. Oh, now we read why. Why does God appoint this means? So that the cross receives the honor and glory it deserves. And not men. And not organizations. But keep reading. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Note that. How are people saved? Through the folly of what is preached. God has appointed that the means by which we become wise unto salvation is the preaching of God's word. So let me ask you a question. Does eternity matter to you? Does eternity matter to you? Does eternity matter when you look down the row and see your children? Does their eternal future matter to you? Is it important to you? For your husband, for your wife, does it matter? Is it important? Well then, how diligent are you to the preaching of God's word? If it really matters, and if this is the means by which God has appointed to save, this foolish thing, I admit it, it's a foolish thing. This makes no sense. To have somebody without eloquent wisdom preach the cross of Christ as the means of salvation. See, nobody's going to come to faith because of a preacher's eloquence. We're only able to become wise unto salvation through faith, the work of the Holy Spirit 
in Jesus Christ. But the appointed means that the Holy Spirit uses is this preaching of the word. That's why God gave us the word. He gave us the word so that this word can be preached. See, there's a difference between preaching and teaching. Through that which is preached. How seriously do we take that? The second Helvetic confession I was reminded by a church member set the standard in the Reformed faith as far as preaching. The second Helvetic confession of faith, a Reformed confession of faith, said that the preaching of the Word is the Word of God. Think of that. For Jews demand signs, verse 22. Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. We're preaching the very thing that those people with itching ears are unwilling to hear. They don't want to hear Christ. They don't want to hear about sin. But the purpose of Scripture is to provide the truth, to provide the basis from which the cross is preached, through which the cross is lifted up. And by that means, the Holy Spirit works within our hearts and gives to us faith, faith that turns us from our sin and turns us to Jesus Christ. Preaching of the word. But to those who are called, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Why does God give scripture? Because they're able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All Scripture is God-breathed. All Scripture is God-breathed and is profitable. Now Paul lists the purposes. They're profitable for teaching. To, Paul means by that to properly instruct. Teaching in, in Scripture is that which is done properly according to the truth. He gives us the word so that we can be taught. It's useful for teaching. And what does that mean? It means conforming that which we know to be true with our life. That's what teaching is. See, teaching is that which comes after preaching. You, you can't teach somebody who has not believed in the word through preaching. You can't instruct somebody in the truth who does not acknowledge the truth. Paul is saying, okay, the scriptures make you wise for salvation. Now, 
the Scripture's purpose, now that you are wise into salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, through the preaching of the Word, now let the Scriptures teach you. Let that which you know become the foundation of that which you live. It's taking the head knowledge and applying it to heart knowledge. It's saying, if this is true, then this is how it applies to my life. This is the application of it. This is the truth of it. Secondly, Scripture is not only profitable for teaching, but it's also profitable for reproof. Some of you work in various industries, various occupations in which you make use of something that is called a check fixture. I'll give you the internet's definition, the dictionary definition. A check fixture is a quick-to-use, easily understood tool that ensures the part is built to the customer's requirements. A properly built fixture not only gives the operator enough information about the part so that he has confidence in what he is building, but also helps him prevent building a poor quality part. Now, there's all sorts of examples of this. Okay? I was watching an episode of This Old House a, a few weeks back, and they, they were making uh, something to go uh, on the end of a dormer. And the guy was saying, now look, I'm making one, I'm measuring it, it's exactly the way it's got to be. But I don't want to do this for every single one of the 25 pieces they had to do. So he made one, and then every other one was, was made according to that standard. Some of you know when, when I was teaching in the summers, a couple of other teachers and I formed a, a roofing company and we did shingling. We were pretty novice at the beginning, okay? We really didn't know what we were doing, okay? I'll admit it. We got a little better. I, I remember when we started, okay, that, that somebody said, somebody told us, well, the best thing to do is make sure the edge of the roof is straight and then you cut the starters, you, you start with a full shingle, then you go down to the five-tab, four-tab, so on. And they said, just measure and, and go. So the first time we did this, the first few jobs, it was like, okay, every single one we were cutting separately. So we'd cut the first one, measure, cut, measure, cut. And it was like, you know, eventually what ended up happening was we got farther and farther off. Why? Because... We put the starters down, and then the second ones we cut, we used to cut the third. And then we took the third to cut the fourth, and the fourth to cut the fifth, and the fifth to cut the sixth. By the time we were to the top, one of the guys said, we're two inches off up here. What happened? Well, that's because when you take that utility knife and you're cutting, you just keep moving over a little bit. It moves over further and further, and eventually the last one was so far off, we ended up ripping up half the roof to start over again. So we learned, well, you take the first one and you keep using the first one. You don't put those on the roof unless you're going to leave them for your last ones. You use the first ones. 
a check fixture. That's what scripture is. A scripture is that check fixture by which you are constantly looking at to the truth. Not a copy of, not second, not third, not somebody else's interpretation, somebody else's interpretation, somebody else's interpretation. You come back to the truth. This is the check fixture. In the Old Testament, it's referred to as the plumb line. It's that, that line by which you, you understand the straightness of the wall. Are, are we putting the blocks up straight according to the plumb line that measures true? God's word is the measuring of truth in our hearts and in our lives. And it tells us, are we off? Are we off? Are, are, are our lives lived anywhere at all towards the conformity to truth? Or have we settled for the seventh row of shingles and being way off but thinking, ah, we're okay. And God says, no, you're nowhere close. Look, look at what the truth is. Yeah, but I read so-and-so and they said it was okay. What about the truth? See, that's why the study of God's word is so important. The digging into God's word. And if I'm just reading it on my own, I'm going, well, I think I'm pretty good. I think I'm doing okay according to this text. Sometimes it takes a brother or a sister in Christ on the other side of us to say, no, it isn't. You're nowhere close to that. See, look what we've done with the Lord's Day. Right? There's an absolute standard. Thou shalt not work. But boy, we settle for a whole lot of stuff in our lives that comes awfully close, if not right out work. Look what happens with adultery. We settle for a whole lot of stuff in our lives. It's the junk that comes in off our computers. It's the junk that comes in on our television sets, right? We settle for a whole lot of stuff that really classifies as adultery but not according to the standards of God's word. But it's like, well, you know, they do it. Yeah, they're the sixth row of shingles and they're off too and you're the seventh row and you're way off. How about the, how about the using of God's name in vain and the honoring of God's name? How close are we to the exact standards that God's word sets? How about our attitudes? How about our marriages? How about us as husbands and fathers? How about you as mothers and wives? How, how do we fit according to the standards of God's word? Not according to my neighbor. Not how is my neighbor doing. Not how, well, most men. Well, that doesn't qualify. The question is not most men. The question is not most wives. The question is what does God's truth tell us? God's word is there for scripture. Now, Granted, chapter 4, this is not what people's itching ears wants to hear. They'd rather go somewhere where they're told, you go plant a tree, you're going to heaven. You go release a butterfly, you're saved. You pack a meal for a child, that's salvation. People would rather hear that than the fact that Scripture reproves them, corrects them, right? And wouldn't we rather, 
I can tell you my, my teaching friends would have rather I made the correction on the second row of shingles rather than when they were to the top of the peak. Right? I still hear that story every time I see them. Right? We'd rather have the correction soon, quick, before those patterns get so set in and so entrenched into our hearts and our lives they become so hard, difficult to break, to change. It's useful. It's useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction. The reformation of mind and character, of setting a person straight, to be reshaped in the glorious image of Christ. Romans 8, 29. Here's the answer to the question. What did God do in your life this week? What is Christ doing in your life? If I ask you that question, and I came to you after the church and said, so what's Christ doing in your life this week? God's word answers that. Christ is conforming me, God is conforming me to the glorious image of his son, Jesus Christ. He is correcting me. There's a reformation going on within our hearts and within our lives. Setting us straight. Remember, we're prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. We're, we're those sheep that wander away. There's, there's a reason God gives us that illustration. Right? Because we're so self-focused, like sheep, looking at only that which is here, rather than seeing the bigger and broader picture. God's word is there. For correction, but also for training in righteousness, to formulate, to develop. It's the picture that Paul is using here, the term that Paul is using, is that which you use when, when raising a child. The raising of a child is not just about physically getting them from infancy to adulthood, is it? It's about developing character. It's about establishing goals. It's about developing understanding and awareness. It's about wisdom. God's word is that for us as believers. We are, you see, born again. Right? We are born again. Meaning, we need to be trained. We need to be reared. We need to be brought up. God's, the Father's, child rearing of you and I is this, His truth. For the purpose that the man of God may be complete. Equipped for every good work. God's purpose in giving this is so that we will by His grace, through the work of the Spirit, but by the means of His truth, the Scripture, be conformed someday perfectly to the glorious image of Christ. I hope in your life and in mine this isn't collecting dust on a shelf, but that we are regularly involved, engaged in God's truth. Amen.
Amen. Father, thank you for your word. Oh, it challenges us. Oh, it does. It sets the record straight. We don't like it often. Gets us angry, gets us upset. We're prone to go after that which will be an itching ear, that which will satisfy the cravings of our sinful hearts. But Father, by your grace, through the work of your Spirit, you've opened our eyes, you've taken the truth, and you've planted it deep in us. Oh, Father, we pray that the truth that we confess, the truth of the words that we expressed moments ago, the truth that we have read in your word this morning, will become our way of life. Ever and ever and ever. For no man lives by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from your mouth. And so may Christ live within us. In his name, God's people say, Amen.